Captain's Log, Stardate, The Future. It seems that we are once again following a large stellar object, or the core of one, through space, where it will hit willy-nilly whatever comes before it, due to the first law of thermodynamics. And I'm certain Nazis will not figure into the plot of this one, I can tell you that. Hi everyone, and welcome to Reengage. I'm not sure where Captain Picard became kind of a pirate, uh, but there is there is a pirate feel to that, definitely. Here we are. We are Reengage for Gen X goofballs, re-examining and re-engaging with our favorite television show of our youth, but for Jimmy, postgraduate school. We are here to discuss the Masterpiece Society, episode 13 of season five of that show, Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm joined today, as always, by my fellow bridge officers. We'll go around the horn and see how everybody's doing. I'm Eric Curry, by the way, your host for this particular episode. First up, we'll say hello to Greg Tito. And how are you, Greg? You're not going to believe this, but I also did not start Audacity right that time either. But it's okay, because we're going to forge ahead and make things Let's happen. Let's just all use the, the Zoom one this time, make it easy. Jimmy G, what's up? And uh, how's your audacity treating you? Well, my audacity is working great, uh, and I'm genetically bred to not care. <laughs> fuck, fuck yes, I have noticed this throughout our long friendship. Kate Yeager, what's up? Well, my audacity is doing fuck all. So there's that. <laughs> but I am doing well. And so there's also that. Well, that's the most important part of any of this uh, episode as far as I am concerned. Again, we are talking about the Masterpiece Society. The original air date was February 3rd, 1992. It was directed by Winrick Colby and story by James Kahn, but not that one. <laughs> Adam Belanoff. Teleplay by Mr. Belanoff and Michael Pillar. And we get music by Jay Chataway and Chopin's fourth prelude in E minor, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Uh, as for February 3rd, 1992, the original air date, what was going on there and then, Greg Tito? I had February 10th, 1992. Ooh. Violations was uh, February 3rd. Wikipedia is wrong. It's, it happens. On February 7th, the... The Maastricht Treaty was signed on February 7th in Europe, where our uh, friend Eric Curry currently resides. I do. It was signed by 12 countries uh, from the European community, they were called, and they were going to create something called the European Union. Uh, so this is when... The Europäische Gemeinschaft, yeah. <laughs> it occurred in 92, uh, and it is. Uh, then it took a while for uh, someone to Brexit from it, uh, and then there's the, you know, they got their own monies. They didn't have the... Intriguing, they, yes. They didn't have the genetics ready for that one. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Not yet. On February 9th, the day before this, it was the 42nd NBA All-Star Game in Orlando. Uh, the Orlando Arena was new, and they had uh, the West come in and beat the East 153 to 113. It was a 40-point lead. Magic Johnson was the MVP for that one, uh, which was wonderful because, as you remember, he had been diagnosed with HIV. Um, and then that the, wasn't wonderful. What he did was wonderful. That's correct. Yes, the the honoring of him as MVP was wonderful. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> no, I'll fix it in post. Fix what? And then on the February thirteenth, the third three days after this aired, our friend and Oakland A's outfielder Jose Canseco repeatedly rammed his Porsche into his wife Esther's BMW. And that guy. incident was terrible. He's a terrible person uh, in general for not only uh, uh, taking a lot of steroids and leading that whole uh, rise of uh, performance-enhancing drugs in the 90s for baseball, uh, but I think this incident is also where the roid rage term comes from. This was part of his excuse was that he was so roided up that he, his anger, uh, you know, because that's... Domestic abuse is, uh, it, you know, it's always got to blame it on something else. It's not me. It was, it was the the roids that were doing it. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's what was happening in history. 
Roid Rage and the Europäische Gemeinschaft. It's perfect. <laughs> what a stroll down history's twisted lanes. Kate Yeager, what was happening in terms of the things that were making us happy back then? Well, the number one song was one I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fuck. Fred. Yes, he did. He did say right. Are you going to sing some of it for us, please? No, I, well, I'm too sexy for Milan. Too sexy for Milan. <laughs> there it is. That's all I need. <laughs> All right, sorry, go ahead. It's a classic. The number one movie was Medicine Man with Sean oh, Connery wow. and Lorraine Bracco. Wow. I remember that. Slow time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about that the other day. We were talking about mo old movies we could show to uh, children's, and that came up, and I was like, yeah, it's not... I mean, there's not a I lot of... I guess we could show it to children's. Yeah. All <laughs> I remember is the like ants. It. The ants were in the sugar bowl. That's what it, the, the MacGuffin. It made no sense to me. Ugh. I was like, oh, yeah, the ants. That's what's going to cure cancer. Fucking ants. Ants. <laughs> on the great Broadway, the revival of Most Happy Fella opened on Broadway Ooh. for 229 performances. And in news that will make us feel old and unaccomplished, uh, Freddie Highmore was born on this date, uh, on February 14th, I should say, 1992. Freddie Highmore- but he is a mere child. Who is a mere child who has accomplished so much <laughs> in his tiny little time on earth. Bless him, he's a mere child. Kate Yeager, I believe one Ann Allgood was in that production of Most Happy Fella. Really? Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, yes. That would be uh, we'll incredible. Have to check that out. And uh, we're clearly not going to check it out now because we are the Gen X hosts of Reengage. <laughs> um, and from there, we move into the episode proper, do we not? Jimmy G, why don't you tell us what was happening back screen? Just one thing this was uh, the second sort of a, a, a dive into the eugenics debate, the first one being 1967 Space Seed, where we got to meet uh, Ricardo, uh, Ricardo Montalban's con. Con. The script went through a year and a half of edits and five different writers before it actually landed in Pillar's hand. Uh, and his biggest struggle was what exactly is a genetically designed society and that's what he wrestled with and this is the episode we got from it and that is all i have from the nimsic files <laughs> we were inflicted by all five writers with this episode and the episode begins with the enterprise rocketing towards moab 4 because a core fragment is gonna come fuck it all up but there are a bunch of unexpected human life forms on this heretofore thought abandoned and unpopulated planet. We use our obsolete subspace relay to contact what we assume is an old space colony. They can talk. Um, Worf says, uh, use that old-fashioned shit, so we got a string in a tin can, and we got a hold of the people on Moab 4. Full-on, we mean you no harm and shit. Like, we slow-talk these fuckers. We assume they are so stupid. It's amazing. <laughs> it would be great if they spoke loud. <laughs> yes. Raises it. We mean you no harm! <laughs> That's very close to what we actually get several times in this episode. I gotta tell you, Aaron Connor shows his face on there, and I immediately don't trust Aaron Connor. I don't know how you guys thought about it, but to me, Jimmy, it looks an awful lot like Chris Catalano. And uh, it's not that I don't trust Chris Catalano, because I do. But I don't trust Aaron Connor. We have talked about this actor before. This is John Snyder. He played Bachra in the episode The Enemy, where he was trapped with and trapped Mr. LaForge on the planet of caves and sandstorms mm. as a Romulan. He's had a great career in voiceover as well as lots of genre stuff and an unforgettable role as the pimp in Crocodile Dundee, who was eventually taken down by Gus, the limo driver. Just great stuff. But clearly here, this guy is not to be trusted, and uh, clearly Counselor Troy has a type. Okay, <laughs> we don't like people, he says. But since you say we're in danger, I say fuck it. So, hey, like I said, we'll be fine. And you've got a transporter? What's that all about? How do well, transporters Exactly, work? like... <laughs> 
<laughs> they sick data on him real quick who says some numbers that add up to you're fucked and you got to evacuate. And he says, no, 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 no. No one can get into or out of our sealed environment anyway. And that's when the transporter comes up. And it does, in fact, bring to mind that Arthur C. Clarke shit about any technology sufficiently advanced will seem as magic. So he says, I say, I got to see this. And next we meet Martin, his co-conspirator on the planet, who is yelling at Aaron to keep the newcomers, nay, the interlopers, out of here. We but, have nothing to hide, he says. Well, before we even meet Martin, we see him in the background, and nobody says anything about <laughs> And what's in, up with the guy skulking in the back? Because he obviously <laughs> has big objections. He's not <laughs> trying to hide it. It's, you know, writ large that this guy is upset with us talking to you. And Picard just happily like, yeah, whatever. Yes. They are, they are making him mean mug for all he is worth. <laughs> I say, what's wrong with the guy in the back? <laughs> it's like when I get a phone call and I'm like, oh, who's that? And then my entire family is like, who are you talking to? Who is it? What do they want? Are they going to hurt us in some way? And I'm like, it's, it's just a phone call. But he's doing that immediately. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> this is, of course, the great Ron Canada. Ron yes. Canada, every who is already everywhere at this point with classics like DC Cab and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid and Home Alone 2, possibly the best B-movie sequels of all time. Say it with me, Lost in New York. He went on to hit with fantastic roles in all genres like Otis in Lone Star, one of my favorite all-time films, Randolph in Wedding Crashers and Back This Way with both Deep Space Nine and Voyager, X-Files, Frasier, he was the police chief on The Shield and Mayor on The Strain. He was in West Wing, Madam Secretary, The Office, The Closer, Grimm, known in the theater world for the Broadway cast of Network and as Yago when Patrick Stewart famously played Othello in D.C., where Mr. Canada began his career. The transporter business has shaken Martin <laughs> to his core. The transporter works, the guys shimmer in, and Martin is shooketh. And all that is right to... The credits. Are your minds boggled? That was a long time. A lot happened. What's going to happen next? What are your first thoughts, Kate? You know, it's one of those things where it's a lot of information at once, but it's exciting. I love our talking about <laughs> the um, him skulking in the back. It reminded me a lot of when I learned that I have a very expressive face. <laughs> when a stage manager, I was getting notes and a stage manager just casually leaned over and was like, fix your face. Because <laughs> I was scowling. <laughs> and I had to... Deanna Troy would have no trouble reading you. No, you no. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but, I, but I agree with y'all that there's something about Aaron just right away that is disconcerting and he's a little too perfect and a little too, a little too, too. <laughs> a little too, too. Yes, he is. And if we had any doubts, the first scene back, we are touring a garden outdoors. You never do that. You don't do that. It always leads to trouble. You don't let them take you on a grand tour of their outdoor shit. And especially when he says, well, our ancestors were eugenicist Nazis, you see. We've evolved beyond you. We wouldn't have blind folks, for instance. <laughs> wow. He says to Jordy LaForge, who turns and says, I see just fine, sir. And we have achieved perfection. Yeah. We are even cool with our environment, he says, because I bet you didn't know that. We have environment and we're cool with it. And they say condescendingly to the people who have perfected replicator technology. It seems to me that uh, the eugenics thing was really kind of slipped under there. It's like they do as much as they can to make it seem like there's any way to defend this level of shit that they're talking. I know. They don't really um, explain they go, how they, they're like, we're genetically engineered to be better, but they don't say how. Like, And that is well, important information, I think. Yeah, because they say yes. we have been selectively bred, which yes. leaves like a lot of open-ended <laughs> questions that right. I don't like the answer to. Yeah. Right. No, there are no good answers to any of the questions that come up from this. It's truly amazing. They even double down and say like, 
we don't have anybody who could be a great poet working as a mere laborer. They have to suffer the indignity of laboring for a living. <laughs> I was made to leave and we make trash people and teachers and I don't know, bakers probably. I eat donuts anyway. They come from somewhere, don't they? It's really kind of ridiculous all the way through. <laughs> We've genetically modified the flower. Yes, and they have. It doesn't make any sense. They kind of end with, if we have to evacuate uh this this entire uh system will fall down and we won't give up this hierarchy we've created and troy immediately comes up with well we'll help you keep it <laughs> it sounds great <laughs> um and we go right from there to uh talk to their own physicist which will help uh jordy in the search for a way to fix this stellar core fragment heading its way uh, they clearly do not have the technology to do so on their own. But we are introduced to one Hannah Bates, their physicist uh, extraordinaire on the colony. And she is played by one Day Young, genre superstar that we also see in Deep Space Nine and Enterprise, along with Rock and Roll High School, both Strange Behavior and Strange Invaders, which, you know, were written and directed by Michael Laughlin, who's one of the most interesting stories in Hollywood. Check him out. She's the waitress in the diner scene from Spaceballs, which makes her uh, royalty in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, the Running Man, The Serpent and the Rainbow. She was a, the ruled salesperson to Julia Roberts, who's made a big mistake, huge executive decision and red eye. She doesn't do well in the air. And most recently, <laughs> she was seen in Amsterdam, which was quite successful, we remember. Um, she worked up a few schematics based on the purple flittarks and the pieification of Grampert's. <laughs> and uh, they can show those to Jordy and get this thing fixed. Riker knows his cue and is like, we'll let the nerds get to it, Deanna, and uh, we'll get out of your hair. And Counselor Troy is like, please, can the Nazi creep take me on a tour? Just him and me? Uh, and Riker's like, sure, one to beam up. And here we go. Jeez. What do we think of uh, the plan to put uh, these two scientific minds together and, and, and uh, get this thing going we have 48 hours it turns out so there's our ticking clock go ahead kate i'm just shocked that Riker so readily leaves the hot blonde scientist there you know <laughs> i guess there's only room for one googly-eyed story uh in this episode <laughs> but that was the first thing i was noticed is like oh he didn't shoot a shot at all <laughs> oh i'd love it she'd get behind him and explain the formula to him as if he were small like, <laughs> point at the screen using his finger i think that's the way to go greg what did you think i love i don't know which of the five writers added uh jordy's uh you know a whole part in this but i love that he's Basically, the big fuck you to this entire society throughout this entire episode. Oh, and it yeah. starts with he's that scene Luthor. that you mentioned where he's like, yeah, I can see just fine, which is basically being like, can you see this? Can you see my middle finger pointing <laughs> in your face? Because that's all you need to know. Uh, and then, of course, he gets his, uh, some comeuppance uh, at the end uh, for for these genetically engineered uh, MFers. But I, uh, I agree with what you're saying about Connor here. He does seem skeevy and strange right off the bat. And I think... Some of the commentary I've seen from the director and the writers uh, and, 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 and Rich Berman were basically like, yeah, the, the, the lead actor just didn't carry it. And I think that's a lot of weight that they had to put on his, his shoulders to make him be charming as a charming Nazi. But it, you know, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't really work here. Yeah, they didn't give him a whole lot to work with as far as I'm concerned. We go right to him leading Troy through the woods again. He's all jokey. And Troy comes to wonder how society doesn't stagnate without uh, change coming from outside. It immediately gets into kind of the, <laughs> the different populations. It, it's creepy. It's immediately creepy, the whole conversation. He says it might be uh, different if not for Martin and the other strict interpreters. We don't know interpreters of what, you know, whatever the founders rules were. We can understand and extrapolate from the people who might form such a society what those rules might be. He says, but we adapt. We're human. We'll be fine. We have enough genetic balance in case of accidental death. So what could the problem be? I did like meeting new people and hearing new ideas. And Deanna was like, me too. And I'm like, what fucking new ideas did you get from these motherfuckers, Deanna Troy? <laughs> Uh, and he says, oh, you're the ship's counselor? Well, you wouldn't find much work here, counselor. I'm like, red <laughs> fucking flag! Are you kidding me? 
everything you know about uh, uh, strict societies uh, means that they're all completely fine. Everyone. Yeah. Nothing repressed. Don't need no counseling. Everything's great. Yeah. Be what you're supposed to be. <laughs> Hannah comes to the conclusion with Jordy very quickly that they can't improve the shields enough to save the colony. Jordy agrees. Wait, she says. How much energy can your ship create? Jordy says, uh, a lot. <laughs> and she says, either we move or the fragment does. And Jordy gives her like a LOL woman. Are you crazy? We could move a moon maybe, but a stellar core fragment? No way. And she way. says, but wait, would it change your mind if I had a wild, purely theoretical idea? And he says, I'm listening. <laughs> she discovers a multi-phase tractor beam in this 48-hour time crunch. That is exactly what is supposed to happen. It's just a hunch that it might work. But in this case, I would bet money. Um, How do they not so, know about transporters, but they know about tractor beams? That's the thing that it kind of falls apart for me here. It's like they've got some of the technology that that the Federation have, but not this. Because she said she's actually been working hey, on this Greg, multi-phase thing for a while, right? She's like, I got this in my back Greg, pocket. We basically have tractor beams right now. Come on. <laughs> We have tractors. You, we have beams. And we have beams. <laughs> See, I could make you a tractor beam by 3 o'clock this afternoon <laughs> with nail polish. Ooh. Ooh <laughs> Let's do it. The Supreme Court has roundly rejected prior restraint. <laughs> <laughs> dear, dear. In explaining the plan to Aaron and Martin, Jordy says, we need Hannah on the ship to make this work because they don't have Zoom yet. They just have the one camera <laughs> with the subspace thing from earlier. And uh, it, it just won't work any other way. And Martin's like, no! And Aaron says, until today, no one had ever come here and no one had ever left. No one had ever gone nor returned. No one had ever mixed bran muffins with cherry cordials. And we had interesting <laughs> times, do we not? And uh, Martin says, the founders didn't want this. And uh, Aaron responds with, well, they didn't want us to die. Boom. Argument one. We're sending <laughs> Hannah right to the Enterprise. Molecular transport may affect her DNA, Martin says. And Jordy is like, what, motherfucker? And Aaron says, finally, no, Hannah can go. And Troy says, you mind if I come back in a little while? This place really intrigues me. And Aaron says, hell yeah. And we get another nice, big Martin scowl to take us to commercial. Yeah, Kate. Right after that moment, Eli said, well, there's where the DNA affecting is going to come from. We're going to have some swapping. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. We do get into that with the discussion of the half betazoid DNA being added oh. possibly to the population later. Uh -oh. Yeah, Martin is, course. the Martin character is basically just like the conservative, like we must do what the rules say, but I must interpret them that way. Even the whole changing of DNA thing, it reminded me of everyone going crazy about vaccines and whatnot. Like, you're gonna put that in your body? And you're like, yeah, we've been doing that. For a very long time. What? Yes, that's yes, how it works. It has nothing to do. Yes, uh, and it's good and it helps. It's not changing, it's no, Bill Gates chips. Although I'm glad that that's what it's making my audacity work. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's also ironically what's fucking up Kate's audacity. So uh, really it's a, it's a wash in the grand design as far as I'm concerned. It's true. All right. So the captain's laying out, out for us in his King log 48 hours until we have to evacuate if Hannah and Jordy can't make an all time physics discovery. Uh, maybe data could help, but nah, we won't worry about that. We'll just keep it to these two. I'm sure some coincidental uh, thing to do with their everyday human lives will come along and everything will work out fine. Troy is walking along with him again and says uh, some will probably risk death rather than leave. And Picard says, how do we change their minds? And Troy says, well, shrug, probably can't. That's what they believe. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Because, like, how can science bring such uh, smart people to such horrific conclusions? And Troy's like, oh, you don't approve of genetic engineering, huh? And it's times like this where Ugh. I'm like, I mean, we do have to realize that a lot of people do believe this horse shit. Like, a lot of people, uh, like, our favorite characters would be Nazi fucks <laughs> if we got into their politics. 
And it looks like Troy's one of them. She's at least Nazi curious. <laughs> <laughs> it's really awful. Picard's like, no, it's a bad idea whose time is long past. They're giving away their humanity. And breeding out the unknown is dumb. And it doesn't make any sense even in the examples that they give of like, oh, yeah, well, we don't have poets, you know, doing it like, well, the poet needs to yeah. have input in order to create something. And you can't just do that if you're like, yes. well, you're going to be a great poet your entire life. Because, you know, guess what? That doesn't work. If someone tells you you're going to be great your whole life, it, you don't become great. Hey, I'm sold, Greg Tebow. <laughs> you're going to be great, Eric. And that's basically what he says to her. And then he says, you know, wouldn't you want you wouldn't want everything already set, would you? And Troy says, well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. This is weird. And then that's it. That's the end of the fucking thing. Yeah. Picard says, well, this this Connor guy seems nice. And Deanna says, definitely. Let's talk about that because he <laughs> is the best. I admire him. Because like, okay, so try to convince him that it's time to open up their society a little bit. I'm like, but she already says she doesn't necessarily think she does think it's time to open up that society at all. Well, this is just the prime example of five writers, right? Like, <laughs> and yeah. and nobody keeping, you know, we, we talked about this throughout episodes. The consistency in characters is not always there. And Correct. in order to pimp out this love story, they had to pimp out all of uh, Deanna's ethics that has been God. shown in other episodes. So it's just that, you know, like she's so uh, excited about that dick that she just <laughs> loses all rationality and moral compass uh, that have been established previously. It's truly amazing. And later on, when they try to bring back the moral stuff, they never quite get it to a convincing place. Right. Go ahead, Greg. I was just going to say, Picard is always the one who argues like that the uh, a prime directive can be thrown out when lives are on the line. And in this case, he's just like, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe we should just go yeah, ahead and it... leave him die. Well, it's interesting because Riker says we don't have to do the prime directive. They're human. It doesn't apply to them. <laughs> right. In, in a little while, we're, we're about to get there. It's a fascinating thing. Like, right now, Hannah's talking about how we only have to improve the warp transmitters by 80%, and this will be fine. I'm like, oh, no worries. That should be really easy. <laughs> I, I can't believe we hadn't thought to make them 80% more efficient before now. <laughs> Let um, me just call up my hologram girlfriend to... uh, so that we can uh, up, up the warp court. Right. And because we didn't get enough into it earlier, and I'm cool with getting into it, it's just the awkwardness with which it happens. We get him taking off his visor and she says, oh, uh, were you always blind? And he acts embarrassed. And then she apologizes for embarrassing him. And then he admonishes her for assuming he's embarrassed. How does the visor work, she says. Uh, and then he says, oh, hell, I can use the data conversion rate for my visor. And holy shit, a blind man fixed your shit? Fuck off Nazis? Uh, they start completing each other's sentences, and it just might work in each other. They're off to a concerto of Chopin by a tiny baby clearly bred for it. <laughs> this, whole series, <laughs> this whole series of scenes is so inspiring, wouldn't you say? Also, they don't have their own composers. They still have to use ones that were not genetically engineered. Uh, where's where's the new the form of music? Of that... the entire episode's lazy yeah. writing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's it reminds me of the defending your life thing, where the little brains eat normal food and the big brains eat food that tastes like shit because they've evolved to a point where shit tastes better <laughs> than the other stuff. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> here we are listening to Chopin and suddenly there's an earthquake, but no big deal. Matthew, please continue playing. And he does. And everybody sits right back down. Fucking fascinating. Troy and Aaron take a walk to the bubble's edge where they can look out onto uh, the total recall set and uh, <laughs> yes, possibly smash. Um, it's this colony's aboretum. <laughs> yes. She says, maybe this is a stupid question, but can't you just do this again somewhere else? And then they give a dramatic reading of the entire first verse of a Humpty Dumpty. It is the worst scene of television that has possibly ever been put down on, on tape. 
There is a physical <laughs> manifestation of this somewhere. There is the original film, and I want it. And I want to destroy it. We are like eggs, he says, and just as difficult to reassemble. Oh my God, what piece of shit this was. Five writers and this this made it through. That metaphor doesn't even really work now. How can, how can this still work 24... 24 said, where are the genetic, genetically engineered nursery rhyme writers who should have been replacing <laughs> this stuff? Amen. They, they make themselves happy about uh, knowing the same nursery rhyme for a few minutes. And then he <laughs> says, you have been my counselor through all of this. She says, no, I'd rather think of us as friends. And he says, friends, kisses her on the face. That just won't do either, will it? Kisses her on the face. She says, Aaron, we can't. This is wrong. He says, terribly wrong, and kisses her on the face again. <laughs> and here we are, them just smashing a smash fest <laughs> into the plot. I'm for smashing. <laughs> this is really poorly done. What are your thoughts? No, I would just like to think that one of those five writers was in charge of just bringing in other people's work, like the Chopin piece and the Humpty Dumpty <laughs> thing. And that was all their contrib contributions <laughs> was just things that already exist. Like Quentin Tarantino just writing comic book references into Crimson Tide just for the fuck of it. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get it in there. It's silly. It doesn't yep. make any sense, right? Because if he is so arguing for a genetically engineered society, uh, then this wouldn't happen. And then it's like, well, then that, what is the, how, like, how, how is it genetically engineered? Is it engineered through like IVF and, uh, you know, eggs and sperm. And then like, you know, is it, there, is there no relationships? Cause tweezers, there's, tweezers, <laughs> there's tweezers involved because there's no, we don't see any pairings of any of these people, right? We don't see like marriages and families. Do we, we see kids and no, we see adults beyond that. So, uh, yeah, again, I'm like, is this, is it wrong? And is it actually just wrong, wrong because it's a bad scene? Or is it wrong against your genetically engineered society? It's like, it, uh, yeah, it breaks down. It's gooey and it's messy and it's wrong. Jordy and Hannah are now tag teaming the solution to Picard and they've incre increased the efficiency 300%. And Riker's like, it's not enough. <laughs> and she's like, I know, but that mixed with the solutions I've made to the shields will be fine, but we're gonna have to loan them some engineers. We're gonna have to take a bunch of engineers from the Enterprise down into the snow globe where no one has ever been there before. And oh my God, imagine the DNA just floating all over the place. <laughs> It'll be chaos. Deanna is playing the piano, which is sad. But also means they did it. It also means they did it and she's sad about it. She's like, I'm still on West Coast time. She's up early, he says. She's on Enterprise time. <laughs> I think it's across the bay at Alameda. <laughs> she's going home. He says, you're angry. She says, I'm angry with myself for allowing sex to happen. <laughs> I could love you, she says, but how would Martin feel about it? Then she says, this is my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. And Aaron says, I need you. And Troy says, I have to go. They never get into like any real why or what or any of it. It's like I... It, this is some of the worst, least earned dialogue I've ever experienced. And I feel bad for this actor who, yes, does not pull it off. Out of the five writers who wrote this script, none of them have any game. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to save this for my end statement, but it's my feeling that the five, it took five writers, not because they were bad. It's because they were trying to actually make a statement for this script like they were probably trying to write something that made it at least compelling like a a, a a real argument for these people and what they're doing and they were just shut down like no these are the bad guys and that's all we want to hear and then finally pillar was like okay we'll just well, make I mean, them bad what guys. is the argument well and i, I don't know because i'm not on that side but it's just not interesting watching it from the very beginning where it's basically these people are portrayed as uh, we believe the sun is cold, uh, and we're going right. to argue that the whole time. Like So all this stuff, like the in-your-face things, it's not earned by the other side as well, because 
these people are just afraid so dumb and so vapid and one-dimensional that there are no victories of, see, you're wrong. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, they're wrong. It's so obvious the writers and directors wanted them to be wrong. There's no... I would I would say that side. I would have agreed with that a few years ago, but I I think most of the people doing stupid things are stupid um, <laughs> these days. And I look around and that's what I see. And these people are pretty stupid and they're trying to do stupid things. And I kind of respect that. I just think it's really hard for them to act in any kind of way that has any drama to it. Yeah, yeah uh, because the script <laughs> that's is what bad. we're complaining about. <coughs> yeah. Yes. I'm not arguing about that. I one hundred percent on that. <laughs> but I but I think having a, a stupid idiot villain who who doesn't know they're stupid idiot, but they act like a stupid idiot is perfectly fine. I just I, I don't just know don't know how our Troy has to act like a stupid idiot too. I was just gonna say, like I, I, yeah, that's <laughs> fine if the crew was one hundred percent on board, but like these guys are all assholes, but making Troy be sympathetic to them doesn't work. Right. Right. Which is my point is they never thought that they were the stupid idiots. They thought they were writing people who weren't stupid idiots, but they weren't. Right. Right. Well, I, like I say, I get frustrated too, that they made these stupid idiot, uh, (laughs) um, eugenicists also be the ones who are like, I'm for the environment. And they, they connect those two for some fucking stupid reason. Uh, because we all had to in the 90s. The terrorists were all so far lefty. Anyway, (laughs) Hannah and Jordy's plan gets put into action. They need a 1.2 degree change in the fragment trajectory for it to even be possible for it to work. We start and it works out right until, oh my God, it doesn't. And then suddenly it does work. But Riker tells Data for the extra power we will need that we should just reduce the life support. Uh, He goes right to that, by the way. They need a little more power. And he says, well, fuck with life support. Just take it from there. What's that? And then a couple minutes later, when life support starts failing all over the ship, no one goes like, well, that's because Riker told you to take all the power from life support. Instead, they go, well, let's let's evacuate those decks. (laughs) And they're like, well, we got more uh, decks are losing life support. And they say, well, let's, let's, let's evacuate those decks. And then they said, well, there'll be 15 seconds until there's no life support anywhere on the ship. And at that point, Captain Picard is like, um, yeah, uh, let's do something about it. Uh, so he tells Jordy to shut it off. Jordy shuts it off. And lo and behold, life support comes back to the whole ship. And we got 1.2 degrees change in the fragment trajectory. And everything's going to be fine. What do you guys think? Was that the most scary or the mostest scary <laughs> sequence, and we all thought the colony was toast. They just needed that extra 1.21 gigawatts of uh, <laughs> energy to get in there. Are there other systems that you could draw power from? No, that's it. You go right to life support. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that shit is just so fucking funny. Try to get the drama going with this one yes uh so they they did it aaron is relieved tells hannah they're excited to honor her appropriately when she gets back to the surface which freaks hannah out a little bit but we'll learn more about that later the crew is transporting back from the planet now here's the thing we used 50 engineers that's 50 years of academy graduates suddenly uh, (laughs) put back onto this this particular planet it's a callback uh there's going to be some fraternization that's going to happen and it's going to be hard to put Susie back on the farm (laughs) oh my goodness suddenly there is a breach in the atmospheric system hannah works to fix it and jordy goes to help immediately she's working on a solution and jordy says cut the shit hannah there's no breach. I can see it with my visor. I am the society's Lex Luthor, and everything you try to slip past me, I will see. I am the perfect thorn in your side, so you might as well tell me what's going on. And Hannah says, I'm the best scientific mind my uh, society has produced, and you guys are so much smarter than me. Until you came, all we could see were the walls of our biosphere. And now, as I said, it's hard to keep me back on the farm. She wants off. She wants to defect. She wants asylum. And here's where the voting goes all fucking crazy. Right. Troy is, of course, against asylum. We got to keep them down. (laughs) We got to really keep everybody in this uh, uh, rigid society. Dictatorial bullshit. Uh, Jordy says, well, if they want out, we let them out. 
we help them. Worf agrees. Riker says, fuck no, it'll kill the, the colony. Troy and the doctor say, fuck no. The captain even is like, I don't think we can do that. But let's go talk to everybody. We'll, we'll talk to them face to face. Picard is the one who has always argued for this. Like, that's what makes no yeah. sense. He's the one who's always been like, yeah, no, I'll bring you up on my ship, even if you're uh, a cave person. I don't care. Yeah. I, yeah, he's like everything. The, the the thing he hates most in the entire world is the prime directive. It's great. It's what <laughs> makes him him. He's just mad that he wasn't the one who did it uh, and not Jordy. Uh, right. Uh, in the meantime, Troy pauses the Wonka Vader to tell uh, <laughs> Captain Picard that she uh, smashed with Aaron. Uh, she apologizes profusely. I don't quite understand what has gone wrong that he and Riker haven't each done multiple times. But Picard is very stone-faced. He's like, he doesn't like what he's hearing. Then says, would you prefer not to accompany me to the surface of Moab 4? And uh, <laughs> she says, no, I'm fine to go. He says, oh, okay, then no big deal. Let's go. Yeah. Thanks for the tip. Hot, would you hot stand gosh. on the left side? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're human. We all make mistakes. No one is perfect. And uh, I'm still, I'm honestly pretty confused what she was apologizing for. I guess, uh, I guess it's unprofessional to screw the dictator of a genetically engineered race uh, when you're the ship's counselor. Riker has screwed the dictator of at least four planets. Yeah, at least. Male and female. So Martin is pissed at Hannah. Troy says Aaron and Captain Picard should discuss this like men. <laughs> Troy says, Hannah, Let's take why a don't walk you come with me? In the girls' garden. <laughs> Hannah stalks off as she should. And Martin stalks off the other way. And in the meantime, uh, Aaron and Picard debate, debate Aaron's intentions and whether those intentions matter in the first fucking place. He eventually says, I was born to govern, not dismantle, and this is the end of this colony. If even a handful leave, we are fucked. Your arrival created this problem, and your removal solves it. And the captain's like, I don't think that's true. I can't ignore asylum claims. Uh, and you can't ignore that you're killing the colony, they say. Uh, and finally, it, he says, the Enterprise will not turn them away if they decide they want to leave. Aaron makes an emotional plea to his people. He asks them to stay. And Hannah's not having it. She says, we were innocent and it'll never be that way again. Uh, just showing us the metaphor right there. Uh, he says, well, in a few generations, it'll be fine. She says, no, we don't want to wait a few generations. And he says, okay, okay, okay. Six months. <laughs> because that's what these people do. Picard actually leaps at six months. He says, yeah, six months, that sounds fair. And Hannah says, no. So we stay and they pressure us for that whole six months. Listen, Life's hard out here, Picard says. You don't even know. And she says, we're not children, thank you. We deserve six months. No, you don't. It's over. And then he finally says, when you're ready to come home, you'll be welcome. And she doesn't even punch him in the face. <laughs> and and that's it for, for the, uh, what is it, 23 colonists. Troy and Aaron have uh, one final moment. She tells him, Again, that he did the right thing, but that this was inevitable. Uh, and he says, I have only one regret, but I don't regret it. And of course, it's the smashing. Why do I love you? He says, and she says, don't say that. Don't speak. And he says, maybe it's your imperfections, Ugh. but I do love you. This motherfucker Ugh. just walks right past her. We're in the ready room. 23 colonists have joined Riker says, prime directive. The captain says, yes, it must be upheld. Riker says, it doesn't apply. They're human. We were just talking about that. And Picard says, that's irrelevant, number one. We changed their culture. And Riker said, we had to respond. They might have died. And Picard says, we may have proved just as dangerous to that colony as any core fragment could ever have been. And that's, I swear to God, the last line of the episode. Ay, ay, ay. So let's talk about this episode in particular. I got three cultural bridge officers ready to throw down about what they felt about the masterpiece society. Jimmy, did it live up to its name? No. <laughs> it did not for me. Um, I will give this... One Nazi curious smashing. 
There's a similar storyline in Strange New Worlds, where one of the most important characters comes from a race, a race, a society of genetically modified people, and it becomes a very big part of the story uh, and a big argument, very similar to uh, you know the the date episode where he's in the courtroom freed, and that is way more interesting. They make those people and the story of those people interesting and intriguing, and they don't even try to do that with these people and it made the whole thing pointless like it it's like the scene in um matrix 2 where uh neo is fighting with the bad guys and the end he just flies away it's like so you could have <laughs> just fallen away the whole time the, the, the fight was was not it, it meant nothing thank you for the five minutes you just wasted <laughs> my time it was there was never a point where these guys weren't utterly wrong and it was just in your face that they were wrong and you know, like like I said earlier, so none of the, the quips that could have been great, they weren't earned because it was like picking on little kids. They a little <laughs> kid telling you that eugenics is good is, you know, it's like you pat them on the head and say they're there. That's what this episode felt like, because those none of those people were fleshed out. And I never thought the, the main guy was bad, mainly just because Troy liked him. So, you know, like, don't act like a king. Everyone will treat you like a king. Like. Because Troy treated him well, I was like, "Well, he must be good." What I don't understand, what I never knew, is was he doing a British accent or a Boston accent? And that really <laughs> threw me off. Because I swear well, he was going to go say watch, "park the car" at some points. <laughs> go watch, uh, go watch Crocodile Dundee to really get the full range of uh, <laughs> what everything can do? you can get from John Snyder. Yeah. So it was, you know, it's a one. I mean, it's worse than. You know, code of honor almost just because of how yeah. big of a miss it was. Yeah. And, you know, like it doesn't inform the universe at all, even though it's something that Strange New Worlds picked up on decades later. And, you know, so it's just a big miss, I felt, all the way around. Hey, Greg, what the hell do you think happened in this episode and why do you feel about it? I am going to give this one, I think a whopping score of three references to Ricardo Montalban's chest. Um, maybe even two, maybe just two references to his chest. It's, I, I thought I made one reference. Dub, they only made one. Reference. Yeah. So let's go with one. Fine. It's not a good episode. <laughs> I actually enjoyed that. It was a Troy centric episode again. I'm like, Oh, she's actually getting a lot yeah. of development in this season. It's just too bad that it's development that seems to go backwards from, uh, what we've established for her character before, as well as, uh, you know, as we've mentioned, all the characters not really staying consistent with what we think of as their philosophies uh, for this one. Um, I'm not really sure what the argument really is, whether it's like, oh, is eugenicists okay versus not okay? It doesn't really come out in any, like, meaningful, dramatic fashion. It feels wrong from the get-go. Uh, there's no lore explanation as to why these people are here or like were they from the eugenics war like oh, is it we know why yeah exactly they, they, they're, the federation has no record of there being this colony here so that could have been an interesting thread to pull on like these were people from a uh, a part of our history that we've forgotten and so that's part of why they needed to preserve it was because it was a history thing but not that that's even discussed it's all talking about these uh ideas in ways that feel un earned uh, as you said uh and the performances are not terrible they just don't really do enough to bring up the the discrepancies in the in the script and uh it's 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 utterly kind of forgettable uh ultimately as i forgot that it even existed until i was forced to watch it by y'all and i apologize on behalf of the group <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all right Fair enough. We got a one from Jimmy G. We have a one or a two or a three, depending on which part of the <laughs> sentence Craig uh, ultimately decides to keep. Uh, bring us home, Kate Yeager. What do you think? Well, I struggle with this because my instinct is to give it a one. But you mentioned Code of Honor, and that's always been my bellwether in terms of like what to match everything. And it's not so because at least there are people on the other side, right? At least you have Jordy and Worf, yeah. you know, arguing Agreed. for the right thing. And there's the beautiful 
you know, like if you're going to take one good thing from the story, it's that the hero of the story is ultimately Jordy, right? Like it's a Troy centric uh, episode, but the solution to the problem of the episode is a hundred percent Jordy and having, you know, Jordy be the one to save this society. The irony of that is beautifully, you know, it, it's, it's the only little sort of nod I will give to them in terms of, of well done. Uh, but in general, yeah, it's a piece of shit. Uh, I just <laughs> dislike the fact that we have so many inconsistencies from Troy and from Picard in this, yeah. where both of them are arguing against their better natures and against what we've heard them say in the past. Um, and I think it's really, oh my gosh, there's a thing going off. Let me try this again really fast. I'm going to give it a two because it's not as bad as Coda's Honor, <laughs> but it's a piece of shit. And I hate <laughs> that it's on the backs of Troy. I appreciate that we have Hannah and I appreciate that we have that point of view. I wish that Troy shared in that point of view because she's our bellwether in terms of morality. So her being on the side of like, well, maybe it's not so bad is really detrimental and also just goes against what we know about her as a character and would tend to indicate that she is ruled uh, more by a libido than by a, a moral code. <laughs> that would explain the Riker thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. So yeah, it's uh, it's not a great episode. And like uh, Greg, I had completely forgotten that it existed. Uh, and maybe that was for the better. Yeah, for sure. All right. I can't argue with any of you guys. I, I suppose that I will also give it a two. I'm going to give it a two. Are we going to talk all night? Are you socializing? No, no, are you working tonight? Are you socializing? Which is the line that the pimp says in Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> And uh, yeah, there, you guys have said it all. It's it's a bad episode. I, I look forward to next week when we discuss a much more fun series of performances from Troy, from Data, from Jordy, and uh, Worf especially. Can't wait to get there with all of you. This is Eric Curry for all of my friends. Uh, I'm saying hello from Paris with a wet pair of jeans uh and uh, my friends in seattle will join me i'm sure oui, oui. To, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's like passing up on a spit take you just can't do it <laughs> thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of re-engage next week we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of star trek the next generation Follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at GregTito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage. <laughs>